0: You're listening to Artistic Finance, show 114. On today's show, I chat with theater director, Ronnie Dutra. Brazilian by birth, he moved to New York City after college to pursue a career in musical theater. We discuss Ronnie's dance training and competitive ballroom dancing, how his goal of being a Broadway performer shifted to directing, planning the work, working the plan, and no matter what, keep your eye on the prize. Today's intro is a bit longer than usual. So if you want to jump straight to the interview, skip ahead to minute five. A bit of news from the day I'm recording this intro. This connects to last week's episode about Cats, which is the fourth longest running Broadway show of all time. Now, today's news is that Phantom of the Opera, Broadway's longest running show, has announced that it will be closing on February 18th of 2023. It's going to hit its 35th anniversary and then take its final bow. Now, Phantom to date has grossed $1.3 billion in its Broadway run. Now, my condolences to the cast and the crew, though they are all wildly talented and they will find new work in no time. And while this news is shocking, it isn't completely unexpected. Anybody who's seen Phantom in the last 10 years has probably seen it when there wasn't a full house. It also has a big cast, orchestra, and crew. So its operating costs, while unknown, are likely quite high. The West End version of Phantom opened in 1986 and closed amidst the COVID-19 live event shutdown. Now that was the third longest running West End show ever, and it would have taken the second spot in less than a year had it been able to keep going. Now, number two on the West End is Les Mis which was produced by the same producer of Phantom, Sir Cameron McIntosh. And the number one longest running West End show is the 1952 version of Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap, which is still running today. Back on Broadway, the next longest running show is the 1996 revival of Chicago, It will need to run 10 more years if it hopes to become the longest broadway show now i interviewed the set designer of chicago john lee Beatty. he was on episode 32 the lighting designer ken billington was on episode 38 and nina goldman who was a dancer in phantom on broadway and who currently teaches the choreography to the touring and sit down productions was on episode 11. now the exciting thing about phantom closing is that what is next for the majestic theater Will it close for a renovation? Will we hear about a new show going in in a couple months? Now, even though Phantom was there for 35 years and it also custom-built parts of the theater, I'm sure that it can load out in a couple of weeks. All right, enough about Phantom. Let's talk about you, the listeners. If you are currently one of our 27 patrons, know that you are one of my 27 favorite people in the whole world. Now, thank you so much for supporting the show If you're listening and you want to be number 28, I welcome you. To date, Artistic Finance has given more than $2,000 to artists and arts organizations, and that is made possible by you, the patrons. So thank you from me and from the more than 40 artists that we have given to. And one more thank you before we start, and that goes to listeners from Brazil. Many American musicals make it to Brazil and get translated into Portuguese, However, as Ronnie will explain, often part of the truth of the story is lost in translation, and that is what Ronnie strives to do in his work, connect Brazilian musical culture with American musical theater. And lest you think this is the first episode we've had with a Brazilian, 101 episodes ago, we interviewed Brazilian producer Claudio Boteo. Now it was two parts, one was in English and the other in Portuguese. So if you recognize our guest today, it might be because he was our guest host for those episodes. So if you enjoy this interview, be sure to check out episode 13. I'll put a link for that in the show notes. And now without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews
1: successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth.
0: Welcome and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel, and today I'm welcoming director Ronnie Dutra to the show. We're recording this September 15th, 2022, and the most recent COVID news is that on the subway and the public transportation in New York City, you no longer have to wear a mask to ride, which has sort of been that way for a couple months, but now it's official policy that you don't have to wear a mask. Uh, the off-Broadway news is that Merrily We Roll Along, which is at, going to be at the New York Theater Workshop, uh, that's starring Jonathan Groff. Daniel Radcliffe and Lindsay Mendez. That's been extended for two weeks and it doesn't even open until December 12th, but they've sold so many tickets that they've already extended their run. Uh, the Music Man announced that it's going to be closing on January 1st, 2023. So if you want to see Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster in that, you better go do it in the next couple of months. All right, Ronnie, is there any theater news that you've been watching?
1: I'm I'm up to date, just as you have said, Music Man is going to close. It has absolutely the best dance number of the season, in my opinion, which is Ma- Mary the Librarian. It was mind-blowing, extraordinary. Okay,
0: it was a very good choreographed dance. I've never heard anybody give it such a rave review as
1: you just did. It really, it really was, like, the, the absolutely best dance number of the season, in my very humble opinion. Is that one number. It, it was extraordinary. And Hugh Jackman, Sutton Foster have, you can cut the air with their chemistry. That was so lovely to see. I'm, I'm sad it's closing, but I get it. He wants a life out of eight a week, you know, and probably the reason why the show's running is that Hugh Jackman's in it. They just took a, a week vacation where they could afford to close the theater for a whole entire week, just so Hugh Jackman could have vacation. Everyone had vacation. It's It's happy and it's sad. The show should still be able to run with his replacement, but I get it. We all get it.
0: Yeah, we all get it. But if it were any other show, like it could be music, man, it could be Brigadoon. It could be insert name of show, but if it has Hugh Jackman's name on it, it's going to run.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's, it's a lot of employed actors that, that, that ensemble has like 30 people or more and tons of like, Super young kids making their brother debut, you know, so now they're going to be out in the wild hustling in New York, which is the perfect place to be.
0: And I remember I noticed because there's a lot of older roles in that show that there's a lot of Broadway veterans in that cast as well. Yes.
1: What's her name? She did Humans. She won a Tony for the Humans. She did The Doll's House Part 2. She's hilarious. She's a supporting actress in in the show. She was hilarious. Jane Howdishow. That's right. I, I'm t- just terrible with names. All
0: right, I'm also I'm also grateful to talk to somebody who is like, oh, I loved the show. Well, you didn't say you loved the show, but you loved some of the numbers.
1: No, I loved it. I, I, I will say it. I absolutely loved the show. It was the only show of the season that actually took me out of my brain. And I went on a journey for two and a half hours. That's it. With all its faults. I, I don't know why people didn't like it. You know what I mean? The critics were so... Uh, jaded and nasty about it. I'm like, it was great. If you're ever going to remount a classic, that's how we remount a classic. It was full-on classic Broadway, big and fun and entertaining and light, well-meant and good-hearted. And 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 for us, is the best triple threat female we have on Broadway right now. You know what I mean? So come on, guys.
0: I, I love it too, because I was like, it was just perfect. Yeah. Because I think people are like, oh, it's old. It's been done. We've seen it. We don't need the story. And I get all that. But it's so funny and it's so fun. Design wise, it's like there was nothing special about it. There was lighting. There was set. And it was all just perfect. It was all flawless.
1: It was flawless. It
0: wasn't new, innovative, but it was exactly what you wanted it to be.
1: Right. It was entertaining. And the Winter Garden's huge. And they managed to fill the space. You know what I mean? So, so anyways, I, I, I'm I'm all pro the music, man. It was very, it was a very pleasant surprise because I went in, oh man, that's too bad. And then they hooked me right, right off the bat.
0: I love it. All right. Well, everyone can go until January 1st, 2023, go see it. Ronnie and I both loved it. <laughs> that's right. Ronnie. Okay. I'm just going to say this, that you're a fantastic director. I know you do other things, but I've worked with you on three shows that I've designed the lights for. Out of Water, a Brazilian pocket musical, Mary Murder...
1: The New York version.
0: The New York version, uh, and Rio Uphill. So now two of those shows have a connection, which is that they're, they have Portuguese and Brazilian themes. And so that's something that is always showing up in your work because your sort of sensibility is making, taking Brazilian culture and marrying it to sort of American musical theater style, whether that's intentional or not.
1: Oh, it's very intentional <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> so that being said that's telling us a little bit about you but how did you get to new york city like how did you get to where you are now
1: it's funny because even mary murder my character in the show is based on me candace wrote the character paulo as an homage to to my story coming to us having my, having my family in brazil and, and starting my career with board and dancing and so on and so on. of course We lie to tell the truth. We can never let the truth get in the way of a good story. But but even that, there are Brazilian influences for me. Ten years ago, when I came to New York, I I just wanted to change my life. I was doing three things in Brazil. I was working for the government with international relations. I was finishing biology school. I did four years of that. And I was studying musical theater. And of the three things, art is the one that spoke the loudest. And I came to New York to visit, as a good artist <laughs> does, I guess. There's that one thing about New York that you just grow up hearing about. Oh, New York, there's, there's something about the city. So when I first got here, I, I just felt uh, swept off my feet. I started crying in the middle of time, crying, not even knowing why. I cried in the first three Broadway shows, and there was absolutely nothing to cry about in those shows. It was the first one I've ever saw, it was La Caja Falls, the, tw- the 2012 revival. And I was sobbing and and we are what we are, just which is hilarious because it's a very comedic number. It's a wonderful opening. But I was crying simply for being there, sitting, watching a Broadway show, which seemed so distant one year in Brazil. You know, I grew up in an extremely underprivileged family for lack of better wording. We didn't have much money as a matter of fact, we didn't have money at all, <laughs> you know, so so. Everything is just on TV. Everything is just a myth, you know? Oh, yeah, New York. It seems like as, as fantastic and fantastic as in fantasy, as zeals, uh, like the gods of the Olympus, you know? It falls under the same category when you grow up in that context. And then suddenly sitting there and watching this live in front of me, it was, it was overwhelming. So much that I went back to Brazil and I'm like, I, I got to be there. I, I just gotta be there. I, I don't know why, I don't know how I don't. And I was quote unquote, dumb enough to not know why and how. Thankfully, ignorance was the biggest bliss of my of my life at that time because if I knew what I know now, I would have been scared. But I came here with absolutely no clue what could possibly go wrong. And it's probably why you didn't, because I never invited that to me. I'm a big believer in the law of attraction, in the the way we we project ourselves to the universe and whatever your belief is, God, Buddha, universe, doesn't matter. And I think that's why it worked. I never stopped to think how. I just kept going. Kept going and going and going and going going where, I don't know, whatever whatever there's an opening, I'm going. But how? There's no how. You just do it.
0: Did you come, when you came here, did you come as an actor, musician?
1: I came as a human being, absolutely ready to do whatever it took to be able to be in New York. I needed to be in New York. I was ready to wait tables. I was, re- I was ready to be a reception at a hotel. I was ready to be a singer, be a dancer, be an actor, be whatever I needed to be. I was going to be the best version of that one thing, even if I did not know what that was. The dreamland was, I want to come and be on Broadway, you know, like, like everyone not everyone, but like most...
0: Most rational theater artists that come to New York City. Rational.
1: I was just going to say, put that on quotes. So an opportunity came for me to partake a job as a ballroom dance instructor at a company. He gave me the ropes. I'm extremely grateful for, particularly my manager at that time, David Thomas Moore. He believed in me like no one at that time believed in that company. And yes, uh, he gave me an opening and I... Pushed the door and I just made my, my way in.
0: So you were in Brazil t- teaching ballroom and you came here or you came here and then got the job.
1: Great question. Um, I was in Brazil and while I was in musical theater school, I was also doing the Brazilian equivalent of ballroom dancing, which is not what we have here. What we have in the United States and Europe is competitive ballroom dancing, dance sport. There's no discipline and there's no culture for that in Brazil. I mean, there's a little bit of it, but, but culturally with partner dance in Brazil to have fun and, 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 and to get laid. it's just what it is, you know? So I did that for a couple of years then and I was fairly, fairly good at it. So I'm like, I can partner dance. So I came here and I'm like, oh my, there's this whole other world that I'm going to have to, to learn. Granted, I had background with, with the dancing and with the expertise as I had. So it was a, an easy way in, but back to the story I'm I'm very grateful to that one man to like, okay, there's this kid that doesn't really know the industry, but it's willing to, and he has the background that I need. So he believed in me and he invested, you know, which is why I'm terribly grateful to him and to the entire company later on for supporting and for making it possible for me to stay in the United States. So I I stood with them for five years and then I decided it was a good time to try something new because after five years doing that, I just felt like I've reached the max within that. But there was so much more of me. I wanted to be able to try other things, and and the way my schedule was set up, I was not quite very successful then, which was a blessing and a curse. The blessing was that I was able to live comfortably. The curse was I couldn't do anything else because I was so booked and successful in that company, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm going to leave that and start anew. Smartly, knowing that I will have a hit on my quality of living, knowing that I'm going to have to struggle a little finding gigs. And turns out that was my motivation and still is. I love going from gig to gig. I don't particularly enjoy being hooked into one thing, doing that over and over. Doing eight a week wasn't for me when I finally got to that point. I'm like, okay, I got here. I don't like it. The very thing that I fought for my whole life. I don't like it and I'm very grateful to it.
0: So, and so by that, do you mean you wouldn't want to be in a
1: company performing eight shows a week? Correct. I did not want it. It wasn't for me to just keep doing that over and over and over with no, with no perspective of finish. I like the idea of starting something, working a hundred percent for that. And then being able to move on because it's some somewhere in my brain. Once I, I I'm finished with that, I'm finished with that. So while I will still enjoy doing that for a while, I, I want something new. I want something to keep my juices flowing, and that's when directing came really handy. A lot of my friends have been telling me all this time, "Oh, you, you should really consider directing. You should. I mean, you have the eye. You know what you're talking about." I was like, ah, yeah, yeah. yeah I want to be. A, I want to be an actor and brother. Until I got there, and I'm like, hmm, maybe that's not what I want. And it took someone as, as, as important, as relevant as Stephen Schwartz to, to really, I'm very grateful to him to wake me up, you know, and go, dude, you're good at that. And it's, it's, it's unfair to everyone else that said that I was good at that for me to just believe them. So I do tell all my friends that told me that I was like, you always said it and you prepared me for when Stephen finally told me. And it wasn't until we did Pippin in Brazil that I'm like, Oh man, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, not only I know what I'm talking about, but I'm good at it. And and someone that's very successful in his career is telling me that is asking me to somehow assist him in this process. I should believe as much as he does and everyone else has been telling me that, you know, so once you embrace it, then things start coming your way. And, and again, I've been very lucky to have good friends in my life supporting me. But I believe that once the opportunity was given, I worked hard to make an impression and make it last.
0: I understand that. I mean, your friends and colleagues can tell you're re- you're really good or like you're going to go to heaven. But then if the Pope tells you you're going to go to heaven, you're like, OK, maybe I maybe there's a chance then. So I can understand everyone saying you're really good at this because e- even I like working with you, I'm like, oh, Ronnie, you're a really good director. And, I, you know, I'll say little specific things of like, oh, this is the way you do this is great. And I really like it. But that's just me. You're a lighting designer. But then if, yeah, Stephen Schwartz, aka the Pope, tells you you're good at it. I mean, that's a good that's a strong point in your favor.
1: right? And not to diminish you, because I love you and I love your work. And I told you that for the first time we met, but there is some higher validity for someone that is in a point of his career where he could just stop working right now. And, and we're good friends. And I and I was like, so why don't you retire? And it's like, well, because I need to keep moving. I need to keep going from project to project, you know, and he's still extraordinary what he does. And it's not because he's my friend, but it's it's because I really respect that art. So if that person has this kind of respect for me, why don't I have this kind of respect for myself? And it's not to say that I didn't have it, but I just hadn't seen it, you know, and being able to finally sit down and do it and see in front of me when we did it in Brazil, I'm like, damn it, that's it.
0: So so how long, because I think we did something first in... 2019, I think. So we've been working together, but I've only known you as a director. So when did you, like, how long ago did you start that?
1: Well, that project we first met, Out of Water, was my first official directorial project.
0: Oh, all right. So you started directing in 2019.
1: Officially, yes. Uh, embracing the idea of directing. Unknowingly, I've been directing a lot of other small projects, dance projects, which my brain was not directorial, was just dancing. Now, in retrospective, I, I look at all my friends telling me you're a great director. Look at those videos. I like, oh, "this this just dancing. What are you talking about? I look at those videos like duh, obviously Embracing as a director, calling myself a director, you know what? No, this is this is what I am. I it it was in 2019 when I co-directed with Renato Suarez, which is an extraordinary friend and a very, a very good artist as well, as you recall. But that was my first official uh, directorial uh, project in New York.
0: All right. So so just a couple icebreakers just for fun, because I ask everybody, what is a live event that you like to experience as an audience member?
1: as an audience member. Ooh, I'm a video game player. Really? (laughs) Oh yeah, I'm a big nerd when it comes to that. So it's a very easy, achievable live experience. And hopefully I get to achieve next year or so. And I've already done one this year. So there's a concert, a live concert from this composer from this video game that I play and Philharmonicas across the world do a live concert of that. So this year in April, I flew to San Francisco to watch one of them. I was gobsmacked. I I, I was living my life big time and it was great, 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 great. So there is another ver- there's another concert from from this video game series that I would still absolutely love to to watch it live. It doesn't compare. Listen to the recording, which, I've, which I which I have down to like a science already in my brain every second of the thing. But watching it live is just extraordinary.
0: Video game soundtrack, like while somebody's playing the video game on a big screen. Or
1: it's it's a concert actually. It's just a lot of different tracks that they, they play some shooting uh, footage of the of the game. But it's a genuine. It's a legit concert. It's like going to to Lincoln Center watching the New York Philharmonica, doing the the, the like hundred fifty piece orchestra with a big screen on the back just showing footage of the of the game but it's beautiful it's it's beautiful
0: okay and i don't know video games but what's the name of the game okay
1: it's king of the hearts that was the one i would like to see the one i recently saw was final fantasy those both ring
0: a bell sort of sound familiar i
1: just love it i just love it it's silly but it's it's something that would move me
0: okay if they ever do it in new york and you go let me know because i'll go
1: too absolutely absolutely I mean, I've experienced some very nice live events before, which is why I'm like, can this top that? Can even top this? You know what I mean? But it's not about topping one thing over the other. It's just about in adding to my experience as an art, as an audience member, you know?
0: All right. So that was your creative personality. Now your financial personality. Are you good or bad with money?
1: I'm good. I'm actually very good. And I believe that allows me to be a good artist.
0: I signed on to that. And just from me observing your life, you're what I would call an A-type personality. You're very exacting. Your choreography, your directing, it's all very clear. It's A, B, C, do this, this, this. Do we need to change it? Okay, let's do that. So I assume that's how you are with the rest of your life as well, including money.
1: No, yeah. And I believe in order to be a successful artist, you have to be a smart entrepreneur or a smart financial person. And and you recall from episode 13 with Claudio, he's the first one to tell you like, I'm terrible with money, but I have a partner that helps me with that. Bingo. So if you know you aren't, but you have to acknowledge, which one are you? I'm great with money. I can guide my finances. I'm terrible. I need someone. But you gotta acknowledge one or the other.
0: That's how Nicole and I are. Like I'm, believe it or not, I know I have this show. This is a learning experience. Really Nicole's the better one in, in our relationship.
1: But you know it and that's all that matters it's half of the battle right there it's acknowledging
0: all right so you said that growing up you didn't have money but i'm curious did you have good financial examples to learn from
1: yes the the short answer is yes i grew up not having money not knowing i didn't have money i was a very lucky child even though I, i grew up fairly tight with finances with my my young mom my mom was 16 when she had me my father was 20. It was an unexpected pregnancy, but there was is, there wasn't even abortion is not legal in Brazil, and there was no money to do an illegal abortion. So there you go, here I am, you know. <laughs> Shouldn't be laughing. My family was very loving to all of it. They never let me know that I wasn't rich, and and I'm very grateful to it. And my father, may he rest in peace, was the first one to make it out of the bubble of na. Having that, and I learned a lot from him. He was actually very tight with money because he never had it. So, I also learned from him. He passed out very young. He passed out when he was 36 in a car accident. And I feel for him because now I'm 33 and I've experienced so much that I wish he had experienced. But he was so worried about holding on to that money for the family, for the kid, for you know what I mean? That he never really got, but and I don't fault him for that, but I learned from it. I'm like, okay. Money is here for us to live, not for us to be afraid of living because of the money. You know, it's it's how you perceive that, it's how you look into that, and and because I have this relationship, I I, I don't worry about it, and maybe because I don't worry, I keep receiving it. It, It's weird. It's a it's a weird dynamic, but it works out well. And it's an exercise just like you go to the gym every day. You have to exercise that mentality every single day because you wake up and you can make choices. The moment you wake up, you make choices. So make that choice. No one's gonna say it's gonna be easy.
0: You said you took four years of biology school, and then later you came to New York. So I'm curious when you came to New York, which I'm calling the start of your career, but what did your finances look like when that happened?
1: So I went to biology school in a, a public university in Brazil. So I didn't have to worry about finances with that. I was also working for the government for international relations. So I was I was able to at a very early age, I was 18 when I started start making money. Good amount of money because I was working for the government. And it was it taught me two things. It taught me that money does, doesn't bring more happiness because I was miserable at that desk waiting for the politicians. And I put that in quotes, because there were a lot of people that are not good politicians in Brazil for the right moment to save people's lives. And that really pissed me off. I'm like, here's this project. This is going to save, I don't know, a community of 20,000 people and you're waiting for the right moment. Are you kidding me? People are dying. So it taught me that there was no money on earth that's going to make me sit there and waste my life. It also taught me that that very money could help me achieve things that I did want. So when I came to New York, I had a good chunk of money saved so I can get started here. And if nothing went well, I can always go back to Brazil, keep the life that I was doing and try something else there. So it's not like it was a reckless decision.
0: And then I'm sorry to go back to like the job you had when you first started, but you got that job and moved for that job, right? So that helped you get a visa
1: and all that? I moved and then I found it. And they sponsored my visa and so on and all the process. Okay, so now do you have any debts? No. Well, if buying an apartment is a debt, then yes, I have. Yeah, I consider it. <laughs> yes, yes, no, no, yes, yes. But but it's it's it, you see, my brain doesn't even see that as a debt. It's just something I pay monthly, and that's, you know, that I'm gonna pay, I'm gonna put a chunk and pay the whole year, you know what I mean? It's like that kind of stuff.
0: Okay, so with the apartment though, because it's New York City specific, are you paying a mortgage and maintenance on top of it? Or is it one thing that you pay? It's separate. Okay. And just because you mentioned maybe paying the whole chunk of the year at once, do you ever do that? Have you ever done that?
1: Uh, Well, it's my first year, so that's what I intend to do this year.
0: Mazel tov. Thank you. Or wait, what do I say? How do I say congratulations in Portuguese? Parabéns.
1: Parabéns. (laughs) There you go.
0: (laughs) 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 Okay, so then I'm curious because you're so um, calculated to me with your work and life.
1: Do you budget? Instinctively, yes. I don't sit down and have an Excel uh, spreadsheet with my budget. But instinctively, I I know. I know if I went out more than I should have this month. I know if I made more purchase on Amazon more than I should. And I keep an eye daily what my credit card is versus my bank account is.
0: So I'm curious, is there a good financial decision or a good financial thing that you do or have done that other people could look at and be like, oh, I should do what Ronnie's doing?
1: Absolutely. Uh, well, I don't know if they would get anything from it, but it's plan your work, work your plan. Meaning if you're going to plan to get the work, let's say I'm going to leave town for a tour for two months. And this tour, total money would be what three weeks in New York would be worth it. So we're talking about five weeks deficit. So but if I want to plan their work, I got to work the plan for that work to happen to happen. So what that would be is like if I know two months ahead I'm going to go on a tour of this thing that I really love, and I'm going to make less money for that. I have to be very vigilant the weeks before, so I don't take a big hit coming into it. So that would be my biggest advice, and 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 that happens to me all the all the time.
0: And when you say vigilant the weeks before, is that t- like taking work that pays enough to make up the difference, or is
1: it not spending both? I'm about to leave for two months and for two wonderful gigs out of town that will pay just fine. You know what I mean? It's going to pay me well, it's going to pay me all, but it's going to also take a lot of my time, right? So I won't be able to do little things that I would normally do here and there. So this, this couple of weeks leading up to it, I'm working really hard because I'm building up whatever stability I can build so I can afford being two months out of town, not making as much money as I could have been making. And, and it's perfectly fine. I love it. It's a decision. And I go in a hundred percent. And I love being I love being able to do that. I am very blessed to be able to do something I love, to pay for something that I love, that allows me to love the other thing even more and back and forth.
0: So on that, talking about loving things, how do you find your work? What do you do for money? And how
1: do you how do you get those jobs? Ballroom dance is a big industry in the United States. And I've been very blessed to have some wonderful clients, friends, partners that are very loyal to to my teaching, to my coaching. And that's what I do when I'm not doing theater. So that's what I meant. I got to do something I love, which is ballroom dance, competitive ballroom dance, so travel along the country, teaching slash coaching for ballroom dance competitions. And when I'm not doing that, I'm doing the directorial or the acting gigs that will make me miss the ballroom dancing. And then when I go back to the ballroom dancing, that makes me able to miss the acting and directing and afford to do the acting and directing. And I go back and forth. So how does the work find me? Excuse me, how do I find the work? You see, I already gave the an answer. I think the work finds me. I think based on the things that I did successfully and not successfully, I learned what I need to put out there and in the right context, in the right setting, with the right connections, you end up finding people that connect with you. And if I can be of any help for that person's work, I'll be the first one to tell him. It's like, I really love your project. Think of Rio. When Stephen Schwartz introduced me to Rio, I met with the creators. I'm like, I really think I can help your project. Would you like that? You know, and 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 they did, and, and and so on. But I've been, I've I've bumped into projects. I'm like this. I think this is a great project. I'm the wrong person for it. You know, and it, there's, you have to be able to say that as well because any misstep might affect your career. And don't get me wrong, there are plenty of missteps in my career as well, and and there will be more, and I know there will be more. I just have to be ready for when they happen, and and be able to acknowledge that that's a moment of, of growth for me
0: yeah I'm, I'm just always curious because like with directors i'm always like i don't quite know how directors get work like i know producers go to them sometimes or playwrights but i'm like but how do you how do you make that happen
1: yeah i'm actually in a process of finding that out as well because i want more work i want to be able to do more of what i do there isn't like a direct a director's audition you can't just go for an audition You know, the director's audition is a playwright sends you the script and you come back with some sort of feedback based on what you like. And if they like your feedback, they hire you. You know, it's kind of tricky. I I know that there is a director's union that perhaps can help you find some work and people can come to them to find some work. Uh, And there is an app, like a website kind of thing in development. It's like a LinkedIn for artists. I know Jeff Whiting and the Open Jar Institute, they're doing that. And, and hopefully it's going to be a game changer for the industry.
0: Yeah, no, that's really cool. I'll be interested to see how that works because Nicole and I have been thinking like, how can we make artistic finance more useful? And one thing I thought is like different companies for lighting will have sort of job boards. So like there's a company here called 5Ohm and you can sort of like go online to the portal and see what shifts are available and then you can plug yourself into it. But for freelancers there's no thing like that where we need a place where any company can go so I'm thinking about, I was sort of toying around with the idea of like trying to make that happen for lighting specifically
1: you should you should hook up with Jeff Whiting his project is quite like on the uh, final phases of development just to pick his brain and and, and see if, if 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 lighting artists if crew artists are also part of of his linked and I don't I don't recall the name of 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 the platform. I'm sorry, Jeff.
0: But we'll find it and we'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, because there's offstagejobs.com and there's playbill.com, which have sort of little job boards, but they're not very efficient.
1: The greatest way to get gigs like that, it's like, wow, I've worked with Ethan. Ethan recommended me for this thing, you know, or a friend of mine is writing a play. Would you mind taking a look into it? Hey, do you know a light designer that there's you in know, oh yeah, there's this guy. You know what I mean? It's it's usually word of mouth. And then three years like, hey, Ethan, do you happen to know a good stage manager? It's like, oh yeah, there's this person. And 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 that's how things usually go. Because by the time you're auditioning actors, you already have your crew. But how do you audition your crew? You know, it's it's one of those things.
0: Well, well, and this week too, it's just been happening to me where I've had so many people asking me for recommendations and I end up just ignoring the messages or the texts, et cetera, because it's like I just don't have. Time to. And so it's like, we need a place where it's like, oh, we need a stage manager, equity, non equity, this pay scale, this pay scale, this, yeah, you know, yeah, where yeah. All these That's things right. are already predetermined. And it's like, okay, great. Here's our list. Taking a break from the interview to mention our Patreon page. Now, the perks of being a patron are that you get a private podcast feed with all bonus materials and early releases of every episode. Now, the show is free, but some of our running costs are covered by you, the patrons. And that includes our latest patrons, Amy Legg and Keith St. John. Thank you for supporting the show. In addition to keeping the show running, patrons help Artistic Finance give monthly support to more than 30 freelancers with side hustles. 25% of income generated for the podcast goes back to support artists and arts organizations. And of course, patrons support our mission to improve the finances of freelancers to provide an answer to any financial question without anyone fearing shame, stigma, or guilt, and getting artists to invest for themselves and their future. If you want to lend your support, please sign up at patreon.com slash artistic And now, back to the show. For your personal finances and or your business career finances, do you have any sort of entity or anything like that? Is every paycheck just to ronnie dutra
1: last year because i was doing a show for the lortel i i opened my company uh, dutra dynamics dyna it's vague because it can kind of be everything it, i i it, i split i splice it you know what i mean some things go to, to towards Dutra dynamics some things go towards Rana Dutra, which is in the end of the day i'm the only employee of dutra dynamics so my accountant will take care of everything that needs to be taken care of like the the logistics of that are so complicated in this country <laughs> that we're talking about that yesterday, like this a standard standardized um, deduction versus the itemized and as, a, as a self-employed person and so on and so on. It's, it's, it's simple. If you're only making a certain amount of money, if you got a paycheck and whatever, you press the button, standardized, I don't have a car, I don't have an apartment, I don't have blah, blah easy. Once you start adding to this, it becomes crazy,
0: so you just created an entity just because you were doing a specific show at Lortel. Did they say, like, it would be easier if you're an entity or we'll only do business with an entity?
1: I don't know if it would get to the second part because the moment they said it would be easier if you had an entity, I just took it. I'm like, oh, let's do it. Oh, I'm going to need it anyways. So I never got to the point. It's was like, well, but I don't want it. Would you work with me? He's like, no, we don't like Ronnie Dutra. We like Dutra Dynamics. You know, I don't think I, I didn't get to that point because the moment they encouraged me, I'm like, That's a great idea. Let's just do it.
0: Got it. Let me backtrack. Are you a U.S. citizen or a Brazilian citizen? I am both. Oh, the old dual citizenship,
1: eh? Yeah, Brazil allows for dual citizenship. So I did not have to revoke my Brazilian citizenship when becoming an American citizen.
0: So then taxes, do you have to do taxes in Brazil
1: and the USA or just the USA? I don't have to do taxes in Brazil because i don't make i don't make a penny in brazil okay all right good to know that's easy then
0: so you mentioned an accountant so i'm wondering you don't file
1: your own taxes i have i have i have filed my own taxes up until now but this year i'm going to to go for an accountant because things are getting more variables and i don't want to to do anything wrong
0: and then so then previously were you paying taxes just at the end of the year when you filed your taxes or were you paying them quarterly
1: uh, end of the year. Okay,
0: I got it. All right. So now retirement plan. Do you have one?
1: I don't have one. I have investment accounts and assets and bonds and stocks. And I play a little bit of that game. I'm not super advanced at that. But I know just enough to, to make some money with it and to and to find some comfort in what I do. But yeah, I do not have a retirement account. And it's something I've been thinking lately, so I'll, I'll, I'll match with that idea.
0: And then I would, I would say that, and this is just me and the way I look at it is like you, you're buying an apartment, or you, you have, you own an apartment, and you're paying that off. In my brain, that's sort of like could be retirement account too.
1: Right. It's it's hard to think of a retirement account because I don't ever think myself as retiring. I don't have a nine to five. That. I'm counting the days to like, oh man, when I just retired, I see myself working for the rest of my life, you know, and people attribute a negative context to the word work. They're like, do what you love and you're never going to work one day in your life. I disagree. Do what you love and you're going to work with a lot of love. You got to enjoy the work. I love the work I do. And it is work. It's a lot of work. But it's wonderful because I love what it is. And I want to work. I do, I do not want to not work. So I have a little issue with that saying, you're never going to work one day in your life. It's like, that's great. If it works for someone else, lovely, run with it. But for me, I want to work. I want to feel the work. I want to feel frustrated. I want to feel excited. I want to cry. I want to laugh. I want to be able to go through all those things that make it worth it to me.
0: It's funny that you say you didn't you don't have a countdown going. My father is nearing retirement and the last time I talked to him, he was at some lawyer conference, he's a lawyer, and I was saying, "Oh, I guess that's the last time you're going to go to a, this lawyer conference." And he said, "Yeah, 110 days until I'm done." Oh, he's really counting down. Yeah. So he he literally is counting cuz it's been 30 years or whatever.
1: Right. And, and and all the power to to the people that were able to get to the point where, man, I worked that hard doing something that maybe was what I won, maybe it wasn't, blah, blah, blah. But now I've earned the right to. But how many people do we know that retired and realized that you're not at the end of the rainbow either? So you start working after your retirement, then maybe you're going to work in something different this time. Maybe you're going to finally work on your passion. Maybe you're going to finally, maybe you're going to go back to what you were doing because you realize you miss it. There just so many possible paths. So the fact that I don't have a retirement account, I think it goes into the fact that I don't ever see myself not making money in what I love. And maybe it's ignorant. Maybe it's a dumb decision. I'm up for it if it is. You know, but back to the beginning of New York, I think big part of what helped me here was not knowing I could possibly go wrong and just really focusing, keeping my own enterprise and a lot of things have helped me. So I'll keep going that way because it's still working for me.
0: And another thing is uh, we had a previous guest, Marsha Stern, a lighting designer, who I asked that question of, and they said, well, I have social security. Which was like the first time I ever thought like, oh, wow, that's right. Every year you're working, you're paying into Social Security. And like, so you'll have that whenever retirement age is too. So that's just me saying it as a reminder of like, for anybody out there thinking like, I don't have a retirement account, maybe I should think about it. There are these other ways of looking at it. And there are other things that potentially you'll have access to. All right, Ronnie, which job of yours has been the highest paying?
1: The highest paying? Ballroom dancing. For sure. Uh-huh. But as far as gigs go, uh, directing and and, and and it's hard to say because overall, there's a chunk of money that you get paid. But if you break it down into the days and you break it down into the weeks and you're breaking down of those weeks, how much work are you doing? It, it, it's tricky. But but
0: so you're saying maybe the directing jobs might pay a bigger chunk, but then the amount of work you're putting into them extended over three months is a lot.
1: Right. And, and and perhaps the the acting jobs pay a little less, but the work I have, because I'm, quote unquote, just an actor, I won't be in the scene, but sometimes I'm working three hours a day. Granted, there's a lot of work that goes before and after, you know, got to memorize a script, you got to know your notes, you got to know your place. But it's different. It just is. I, it, it's hard for me to pinpoint. This pay me X more than that, you know.
0: The ballroom dancing, is that like hourly? Or is that the same thing of like where it's a chunk and then you'll do your work where you
1: can No, it's hourly. It's hourly. It's a private session and, and and you meet with me and we'll create whatever needs to be created, whether it's a competition piece or it's a a show piece or whatever that is, or it's, you just want to better your posture. You know, I have a pole dancer, uh, a competitive pole dancer person. I can't hang myself in a bar to save my life. You know what I mean? (laughs) Let alone do pole dancing. But I know, and how to coach and what's reading. So I've been directing and coaching this pole dancer for the past two years, and this person just went really high up and he's recommending me for other pole dancers because we will not believe what this guy can do. And I'm like, because an art form is an art form, like like the, the way you tell the story is the way you tell the story. It's very universal whether you're using a pole, whether are using a ribbon, whether you're doing tap dance or ballroom dancing or jazz or ballet or painting or sculpturing or singing, and forgive me for not mentioning every single other art form that exists out there. But that the way you tell a story is the way you tell the story.
0: Because you know dance so well and storytelling so well, are are the dancing gigs also a little less prep work than like the directing work? You know what I mean? Like it's more hourly in the sense of sort of like, We show up and do the work and I haven't had to prepare hours and hours.
1: Yes and no, because I prepared a lot to not be able to prepare. You know what I mean? It's like you work very, 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 very hard to do less work later on. So I just put in the hours a lot sooner, you know, and then once, once you understand the method, you just tweak the method. You don't have to reinvent the wheel.
0: What is some advice that you would give to somebody else is starting their career now, whether it's when they're moving to New York, or maybe even before they've moved to New York, assuming they're going to do that to pursue uh, theater or art. What's some financial advice that you could give?
1: So it's back to plan your work, work your plan. Like New York is full of distractions per se, wonderful distractions. You want to work in New York, you got to stay in New York. But I have this great tour. Great. The tour will take away for six months. Can you afford it? And I'm not talking about Financial affording, I'm talking about, can you afford artistically, intellectually, physically, spiritually, mentally, and financially? There's all that to be, yeah, I could use that on my resume. Go forth and succeed. Come back to New York with that under your belt. Try again. And stick in New York. Sometimes you're going to have to stick for a year before something really starts burning. Sometimes you're going to hit it right away. But New York has a lot of distractions. It's easy to get derailed. It really is. So my advice is keep your eye on the prize. Enjoy everything, enjoy, sorry, no quotes for enjoy. Enjoy all the distractions, the quotes for distractions. You know what I mean? Enjoy all of it. That's why we're here. That's why we pay high price to stay in a cubicle apartment with eight other roommates sharing a half bathroom because New York is offering something that no other city in the world will offer. Take advantage, connect with the energy, go with it. But you gotta learn how to play the rules of New York. If you don't learn how to play the rules of New York, the city will play with you. It's one of the other. You either play with the city or the city will play with you. There's no halfway. Keep around the price and keep going and just keep going. It's a lot of trying and, and be smart about the finances. Like, like plan your work, work your plan. Plan on staying in New York and work with whatever it is that you get in New York to keep staying in New York. And if it turns out not being for you, then great, because it's not for everybody, this type of lifestyle. It really isn't. And that's 100% okay. You're not a fail. You're not a loser. It's just not for you. Somewhere along the road in the United States or in the world, you're going to find where that connection is for you. And you're going to be freaking extraordinary at that. Because we need people in every single corner that do extraordinary things, not only in New York.
0: I love that Keep your eye on the prize. I think that's most important. I'm tell- I'm repeating that for myself. Ethan, keep your eye on the prize. <laughs> I've been derailed. the city has played with me. <laughs> no, you haven't. you're're you're on your game. Um, so
1: new question do you give to charity? Not specifically to it, you know what I mean here and there. We make we make donations and, and, and things, especially in the ballroom industry, like there's like dance for a cause and this and that. So you do things here and there and and in and, and galas and fundraisers, I, I go and I don't know if that counts as charity, but you are in supporting the industry somehow by, by attending and by purchasing one of their beds and stuff.
0: I'm with you that Nicole and I are that way, too, because there's like official nonprofit charities and then there's other things, people in need, et cetera. And we try to like give where it's needed, et cetera, versus being like, oh, we have to get a tax deduction for that. So we're in the same boat a little bit. It's sometimes it's like, well, do you give? And it's like, well, I give to things, but they're not,
1: not official charities. (laughs) Right, right, right. And that's, that's pretty much where I land.
0: Okay. All right. That's pretty much all I had. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about or discuss before we head out?
1: Not really. I'm just glad we got to do this. It's so exciting. Me
0: too. Um, actually, one, one last question. Uh, where can people find out more about you? And, and who, do, who do you want connecting with you?
1: I would love anyone that wants to connect with me to connect with me, because I can always learn and collaborate with absolutely as many different people as possible. You know what I mean? There's no there's no like, well, I only work with it. No, I love, I, I love to get from everything. Um, you can check me on YouTube. My page is Ronnie Dutra or is it Ronnie SD? I don't know. But if you just type my name, Ronnie Dutra on YouTube, you see a lot of my stuff there. Uh, my Instagram page is Ronnie Dutra. That, that one I'm sure it is. It's kind of a professional Instagram page. So you see a lot of my work and, and the things that I have coming up. And my website, www.ronniedutra.com
0: I'll have links for all these and YouTube is Ronnie Dutra. Yes, I got it right.
1: 648
0: subscribers. Artistic Finance has 130. Oh, really?
1: (laughs) You're creaming us. (laughs) I'm going to post it on my YouTube and all my 600 followers might follow (laughs) you. All
0: right. So, if anybody wants to see Ronnie Dutra in action, go to his YouTube, subscribe if you want. And then go to Artistic Finance YouTube and also subscribe.
1: <laughs> yes, I love that. I love that.
0: Amazing. Um, Ronnie, I can't believe it took us this long to do an episode with you. Thank you so much for carving out this time right before you're heading out of town for two months.
1: Thank you. Thank you for doing that. I love it. and I love your shirt. Yeah.
0: Well, one, if you want to see my shirt, go watch this on YouTube. And two, I'm going to put the photo of you, me, and Ira. Uh, up in the show notes or somewhere. Um, Definitely on the Patreon. So if anybody wants to see, because I I should mention that we had dinner last night. You alluded to the fact that we had talked about deductions and things, and that was because we all had dinner last night. But Ira was a guest. Ira Gilbert was on episode 20 of the show. So previous guest as well. Okay. Thanks, man. That's it for this week's episode. Now, my takeaways are simple. Plan the work and work the plan. And keep your eye on the prize no matter what keep your eye on the prize so what do you think did you enjoy the interview with ronnie let us know by emailing me directly at artistic at gmail.com i check all the emails and i'll get back to you at some point if you have a show for ronnie to direct or you need a dance class be sure to reach out to ronnie find all the links in our show notes. And again, you can email me at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com with any suggestions. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want to keep it going, please become a patron. You'll get early access to episodes and the outtakes from all previous interviews. You, the patrons, support our mission to provide freelancers answers to any financial question in a judgment-free zone. All questions answered with no fear of shame, stigma, or guilt. And of course, we encourage artists to invest for themselves and their future. Just because stocks are what financial professionals invest in doesn't mean we can't own a stock or two ourselves. If you want to help support this mission, join up at patreon.com slash artistic And thank you in advance. Now, if you aren't ready to become a patron, there are two free ways to access the outtakes. One, simple, email me at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. I'm always happy to share outtakes from any episode. Those are available for free to anybody who emails and asks for it. The second way you can get outtakes for free is by signing up for our newsletter. Every month, we include a link to a free outtake. Sign up on artisticfinance.com or just email me at, you guessed it, artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.
1: sounds great hopefully the martians in uranus will <laughs> will listen to me and hire me for like this this great universal musical film adaptation of yes. the extra suns
0: jews in space uh-huh. that's
1: right that's that's big that's big we're doing that <laughs> we're still doing that